You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon and welcome to the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner. And I'd say it's another beautiful day in the Northwest, but I really can't say that today. It's it's kind of smoky here in, in the Pacific Northwest because we've got a small wildfire uh, emergency really going on here in Lane County and all over Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. In fact, we've actually got uh, active uh, level three, which is the go level. We have level one, two, and three, which is ready, set, go. Um, actual evacuations in Lane County out near Belknap Springs and that area. Um, it's actually zone 10 if you go to the map that is available on the Lane County Sheriff's uh, office. And it's also on my Facebook page. You can see the zones uh, and and a description of the level of evacuation for the various zones up near the McKenzie Bridge area of Lane County. So pretty serious situation here in Lane County. Uh, and today I'm I'm actually bringing in a guest, Merlin Huff, from, who is the executive director of El Rapa. And El Rapa is not the latest Mexican restaurant to come to Lane County. Uh, it's the Lane Regional Air Protection Authority. And um, Merlin's here to kind of talk about that smoke because we're at an air quality index today at three o'clock of 158, and that's an improvement over the last several days, which is in the unhealthy range uh, for air quality. So Merlin, welcome to the Bose Nose Show. Well, thank you, Jay. Good to be here. For the folks that may not be aware, and, and I want to tell people right now they can also call in to ask a question of myself or Merlin at 646-721-9887 uh, and just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. But for folks that don't know and may not be from Lane County or some people may not even be familiar with what um, El Rapa is, can you kind of describe um, what uh, you know, how El Rapa was formed and, and what what you guys do? Sure. Back in 1967, the uh, Oregon legislature uh, allowed for the uh, establishment of local air agencies. El Rapa was formed back then and along with two other local air agencies. Uh, together, the three agencies covered uh, all of the counties of the Willamette Valley. So at the time, about three quarters of Oregon's population was covered by uh, local air agencies. Along the way, the other two disappeared, and so El Rapa has been the uh, the only one since uh, the, sometime in the 70s when the other two uh, agencies faded out. Uh, one change that El Rapa made over time back in 2006, uh, El Rapa changed its name. I like to joke that El Rapa changed its name from El Rapa to El Rapa, because uh, the acronym was kept, but the, the words changed slightly. It used to be, uh, originally it was Lane Regional Air Pollution Authority, and now it is uh, Lane Regional Air Protection Agency. Uh, the Board of Directors of El Rapa changed that uh, back in 2006 when they were updating it, the, the mission and vision statements for the agency, and someone suggested a a name change, but uh, as long as it didn't change the acronym, because that uh, has been around almost 50 years now, so uh, uh, there's a, a fair amount of name familiarity with that acronym. So what, what does the uh, Air Protection Agency actually do uh, here in Lane County? 
We do essentially everything that the uh, Oregon Department of Environmental Quality does. Uh, we do it in Lane County, and uh, DEQ does it in the other uh, 35 counties of, uh, of Oregon, now that those other two local air agencies um, uh, faded away. So we uh, uh, and, were responsible. We're responsible, for example, for uh, the, the permitting of uh, uh, businesses, uh, establishing the uh, the permit conditions and permit limits for those those industries. Um, we're responsible for compliance and for taking uh, enforcement action when necessary. That's a key part of our program. We uh, also uh, key programs are uh, the uh, home and heating program during the uh, winter months. That's a, a key program uh, designed to uh, keep us within uh, within uh, national air quality health standards. We operate the open burning program. We issue the daily advisory for that. Uh, we do it as a one-stop shop for all of the, the fire departments. So we, uh, we uh, uh, indicate uh, when it's no burning for fire safety reasons. Uh, we also indicate when it's no burning for uh, air stagnation reasons. We uh, respond to uh, public complaints. We uh, do a lot of public outreach to uh, uh, help people understand how they can help uh, reduce emissions and uh, do their part to improve air quality here in uh, Lane County. Foundationally, we operate an air monitoring network. We have uh, 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 several sites here in Lane County. We probably have uh, more uh, monitoring uh, information here than uh, any other uh, part of Oregon. Yeah, and, and that's what I was reading off of your website, the current air quality, and you've got uh, gauges there for Cottage Grove, Eugene, Springfield, and Oak Ridge, uh, where you have the air quality index there. And I think that's fed directly from your uh, monitoring system uh, through various software and into and, and onto the internet. Uh, pretty amazing thing that you can get that um, those hourly readings uh, and see see where the current air quality is right on the internet. Yes, and we also feed into the national system, uh, the system operated by uh, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, that's called Air Now. So you can go to Air Now and uh, pull up uh, uh, information across the country, and uh, our data is part of what uh, produces that that uh, national map. Yeah, and I saw a recent national map a couple days ago uh, that had uh, you know the various colors for. Uh, AQI, you know, most of the country is green this time of year, uh, but the the Northwest was definitely, and, and particularly our area in Lane County and Eugene Springfield and and across the Cascades and then up the, and in particularly Idaho, all was in the uh, hazardous range that that purple color, which was not a good thing to see. Um, yeah. It's almost like you guys have to add, add a new color uh, for, for some of the readings we were getting this last week. Yes, actually, when we uh, redesigned our website not too long ago with the help of uh, Lane Council of Government staff, uh, we made the dial go from uh, zero to 300 because, uh, you know, all of our programs are designed to not go above 100, and uh, we hadn't seen levels uh, of as high as 300 for in recent decades. So uh, we thought we had plenty of room on that dial so we would make it as easy for people to read as possible, but we were actually pegged out for a number of days here this past week at the 300 on the dial because down below it showed the actual was uh, over 400. Yeah, yeah, I saw a couple readings, 411 uh, was one hourly reading I saw. What was the highest reading we saw over the last several days? Well, the highest 24-hour average was uh, 250, uh, but we did have parts of the day where the you know the estimate uh, for that shorter period was uh, I think up to 464, perhaps. I think that's the highest that I saw. Uh, but 250 was the 24-hour average, and uh, that is uh, the 24-hour average is helpful for comparing to uh, the standard because the standard is based on 100 on that dial, and uh, 
that's what our programs are uh, all the, designed to avoid going above 100. In the winter, when we're doing the uh, home with heating program, we're putting out you know that red, yellow, green program as far as whether uh, burning is advised or uh, or or not. That is uh, based on trying to ever avoid ever getting up to 100 on that dial. And, and I, I want to get back to that in a few minutes, but before I do, I'm just kind of curious, Merlin, how in the world did you end up the head of an air protection agency? What, what background brings you to that? Well, I did my undergraduate work at uh, Oregon State University. Uh, it's, uh, it's difficult sometimes to admit here in, in, uh, in Duckville, but uh, that's where I did my undergraduate work with a focus on uh, actually on water uh, quality and fisheries science. Uh, but uh, early uh, in my career, I was working in Southern Oregon, working on all the environmental programs and air quality was um, was the highest priority in the Medford, Ashland and Grants Pass areas at that time. So I started spending more and more time on that program. Um, a few years later, uh, it was given responsibility for non-attainment areas in Oregon. Uh, those are the, the air quality problem areas uh, throughout Oregon. Um, and moved to uh, headquarters of DEQ in Portland uh, to do that. Uh, did that for uh, quite a few years, had an opportunity to work on a number of different airsheds in Oregon. Um, worked for DEQ, moved to the Eugene office when that opened in 1994, and then in uh, 2005 came to work for uh, El Rapa. I, uh, it was an opportunity to be involved with air quality, but at a, a, a local level. In 2006, uh, I was hired to be, well, 2005, I was hired to be the operations manager over the permitting compliance enforcement programs. In 2006, uh, the uh, director spot was vacant. I was asked to be uh, the uh, uh, director at that time. So since 2006, I've been uh, director here at El Rapa. So 11 years, you've, you've you've been actually the director of the agency, but you've been there for a good 12 years, and and then you were working at DEQ's office in Eugene before that. So you've got lots of years of watching air quality, and have seen some pretty significant uh, inversion events, and um, you, you actually stretch back to when they still used to do a little bit of field burning, um, and all. Have you have you ever seen anything like this past? A uh, week of of smoke intrusion in in the uh, Eugene Springfield area or Lane County. No, uh, nothing. Especially during the summer months, there's been nothing close to this. Back in the uh, early '80s, I was actually working on uh, Medford, Medford Ashland, Klamath Falls, and some other areas of the state at, at that time. But back in the early uh, early '80s, uh, Eugene area had. Uh, we're actually the record levels of uh, smoke, but those aren't, were on winter days when it wasn't as obvious because there weren't as many daylight hours and the highest uh, smoke levels occurred actually uh, uh, over midnight. Um, but those were the highest levels and, and, uh, and that's what we were comparing August 28th to when we had the, the extremely high levels at all of our monitors on Monday, August 28th. But we broke the uh, 1980s smoke record uh, this past weekend. Uh, so those smoke levels were actually even slightly higher than during the worst of uh, the winter days back in the 80s when there, when that was before any, any, um, any controls at all on uh, wood stove emissions. Yeah. Back before they redesigned wood stoves to do the reburning and and a lot of the changes in in technology of wood stoves. So that's that's yeah, that was the back in the bad old days. Um, and and, and yes. at a time uh, when when a lot of folks were burning wood to save money because that was uh, a pretty depressed time for uh, Lane County. Uh, that was when the timber industry kind of fell apart. Um, yes, if you look. If you look back at uh, the census data, uh, the number of wood-heated homes peaked in um, in Oregon in 1940, and then it declined steadily each decade that the census was done until 1970. 
And then it was uh, rising energy prices in the 70s that uh, caused a lot of people to go back to, to wood. And, you know, the Orly stoves and uh, Fisher stoves, Schrader stoves, uh, airtight, big box wood stoves were uh, produced in Oregon, very popular. And um, But what we saw at the time was in not, not just Eugene, Springfield area, but also down in uh, Medford Ashland at Grants Pass and Klamath Falls, the uh, particulate levels uh, worsened even after a number of rounds of industry control strategies, uh, elimination of wigwam burners and things, uh, uh, better controls on wood-fired boilers, better controls on the veneer dryers at plywood plants, uh, better controls on uh, particle board plants. All those improvements were being more than offset by the increase in smoke because of uh, the, the large-scale uh, return to, to homewood heating. Yeah, and that that kind of will lead into another subject here in a, in a minute. Before we get into that, why is why is smoke bad for us, and why you hear folks talk about uh, PM two point five? Um, can you talk a little bit about what PM two point five is, and and uh, why you know what's in smoke that's in that PM two five that's bad for us? Sure, and uh, maybe I could talk about the uh, the change in the standards over time. Um, at the federal level, we've had a Clean Air Act uh, since 1970. That was updated in 1977, and then again in 1990, and that's the uh, the current uh, Clean Air Act that we operate under. Here at the local level, we have to be at least as stringent as both the state and federal requirements. And uh, we in the state all have to meet the at least meet the uh, the national air quality health standards. Back in the 70s, the federal standard was what they call total suspended particulate. And uh, particulates uh, are there's two broad categories. Uh, there's the dust, and that's just the breaking down of um, soil particles or breaking down of uh, wood dust or other things and then there's smoke or combustion byproducts. Those smoke particles are the much smaller ones, and uh, the smaller the particles are, the easier they have getting past our body's natural uh, defense mechanism. So our body does a pretty good job on the dust end of the spectrum, and uh, not a good job on um, the smoke end or especially the, the smaller particles within the smoke, smoke range. Along the way, in the 1980s, uh, the federal standard was changed to PM10, and that's particulate matter that's 10 microns or smaller in size. So that's just a, a you know a subfraction of the diameter of a human hair. That was the primary focus, and so wood stoves became uh, even a higher priority to control with uh, the 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 change in the national standard to PM10. Then in the mid 90s. Um, the national health studies indicated that, you know, the, the even smaller particles than 10 microns were the greatest health concern, and so the standard was replaced by uh, a PM 2.5 or 2.5 micron standard, which put even more emphasis on that smoke end of uh, the particle range. So that's the, the standard. Um, that we operated on. Fortunately, the strategies in Lane County and, and other parts of Oregon uh, recognized that concern about fine particulates. So the PM10 strategies um, focused on smoke sources. And when the original PM25 standard was adopted in the 90s, uh, all of the uh, uh, Oregon areas, including uh, even Oak Ridge, which had been identified by that time as a special problem area, uh, those PM10 strategies were sufficient to meet the initial PM25 standards. But as US EPA continued to do national health studies in uh, 2006, they made a, a dramatic tightening of that PM25 standard such that it became clear that uh, more work was, was needed in Oak Ridge. Fortunately, Eugene Springfield um, uh, met the met the new standard once we had a few years of data to to uh, demonstrate that, 
but Oak Ridge required a, a new wave of uh, effort, and um, so we've had a, a very, very successful partnership with the uh, city of Oak Ridge and with Lane County um, here in recent years, and just just met the standards at the uh, the three-year standard uh, at the end of uh, 2016. Yeah, I understand that that, that those small particles that are smaller than two and a half microns um, that they really they're they have the ability to get very deep in the lungs which is why it's become such a concern for the the uh, regulatory agencies like EPA because it's tied to data that the CDC has generated on on that impact of that small particle and be able to get so deep in our lungs and what is the, the you know is it just that the particles cause a problem or or is it that they actually are um, carcinogenic in some way because isn't there some constituents of smoke uh, in particular that are that are a real concern for uh, being cancer causing agents yes there are a number of uh, uh, compounds that are common to wood smoke uh, the one that's usually mentioned is uh, uh, called benzoapyrene, which is uh, a carcinogen, but there's actually a, a group of different compounds, uh, combustion byproducts, especially when you have relatively low temperature combustion like you have in a in a home wood stove. Yeah, and, and I think that the initials for that are PAHs. Um, That's the broad that, group, yes, PAH, yeah, yeah. Uh, BAP or benzoapyrene, is one of the, uh, the the greatest concerns within that family called uh, the PAH group. Yeah, which is polyaromatic aromatic hydrocarbons, if I'm if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah, and we won't get into the chemist the biochemistry of what an aromatic uh, carbon chain is, um, <laughs> but it, it's basically um, you know you, when you start thinking about all those those the chemicals that that people use that you don't want to breathe in uh benzenes and stuff like that and then start adding more molecules onto it um that's basically what those pahs are and why it's such a concern and when those levels go up and particularly for extended periods of time uh, and people will have and and one of the reasons why everyone talks about on the warnings not to do uh, strenuous exercise outdoors during these events is you know those small two and a half micron particles and smaller already get deep in your lungs if you're breathing hard and, and winded from exercise it makes it even worse and exacerbates the problems um, so yes you were saying the standards 100 is is equal to the standard is 200 on that scale is that twice as many particles in the air or is, is there is that scale linear it's it's not exactly uh linear uh for example um 100 on uh is like you say is equivalent to the standard the standard is uh 35 uh, micrograms per cubic meter the 50 on that scale is set at the national average standard. So the the annual average that uh, that we need to meet is 12 micrograms per cubic meter. So you, I think you can visualize instead of uh, 50 on that scale being half of 35, it's actually um, 12. So it's a it's a segmented uh, segmented line, and uh, similarly. Um, as you go up to the higher levels, those are based on, uh, at the far extreme is a, a level uh, called significant harm that you never want to get to. That That is a level oh, probably identified during historic episodes like London smog episode of uh, uh, 1952 um, or the um, uh, in uh, Donora, uh, Pennsylvania, outside Pittsburgh in 1948. That's where they had um, uh, definite numbers of deaths that they could attribute that uh, to that air pollution, as well as, uh, uh, you know, thousands of people that were sick. Um, 
so significant harm is kind of that that endpoint that you never want to um, get to. Um, and is that the 500? Yes, a 500 uh, equivalent. Um, it's um, uh, there's a, a special part of the Clean Air Act that talks about air pollution emergencies that um, that uh, uh, are designed not to get to that 500 mark. Yeah, and we we through natural wildfire smoke for the most part, we were at 464 on that scale, getting awfully darn close to 500. Right. That's why the terms like hazardous or very hazardous are used to those last categories as you get up uh, towards in the 300s and 400s. Yeah. And that, that kind of just kind of puts into focus just the magnitude of the level of smoke we were seeing here in, in the lower Willamette Valley and, uh, and just kind of uh, you know, there are other communities. You know, I, I only see the air quality index for or Oak Ridge, Cottage Grove, and Eugene Springfield. I don't really, I don't really get to see. I heard that Ben got pretty darn high this last week too, and 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 Roseburg and some areas down in in, in Southwest Oregon were just as high. Um, it's just, it's almost shocking how close to that level where we would be right there in history with the that London fog event, which um, nearly unseated. Um, Winston Churchill, uh, as as prime minister, in fact, it did ultimately um, his 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 dealing with that event uh, and the deaths in London, um, you know, led to a turnover in in the leader in the political leadership of of Britain. To so we were almost to that those kinds of levels here in in Lane County. So. Uh, I'd like to kind of keep my job, Merlin. So hopefully we'll stay below 500. <laughs> yeah, if people want to take a look at that uh, London episode uh, on Netflix, uh, the the Crown, I think it's season one, episode four, it talks about that uh, 1952 uh, episode. Um, so if people want to get, the, I, I think it does a reasonable job, as best I can tell, does a reasonable job of uh, recounting the uh, events and the uh, the. Uh, the, uh, uh, the sickness and death that occurred at that time. It's also yeah, interesting that the, the word the word smog, you know, that was first coined there in London, a combination of uh, smoke and fog. Uh, that's where the term came from. But many years later, I think it was about in the late 1940s down in uh, Los Angeles area, people saw similar um, degradation of uh, the atmosphere, and they use the word smog in Los Angeles, and so that's how it's more commonly used today is Los Angeles smog. But uh, originally, it was that uh, coal coal smoke and fog of London is where that word was first coined. Yeah, yeah, and, and I've watched that series. It's a great series on Netflix. Recommend it to anybody. It's a great history lesson. Um, because just following the Queen's life, you follow the 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 world events uh, around that surrounded her life, including that that 1952 smog event in London that unseated um, an administration in what that what was then one of the great powers in the in, in the world. Um, so I want to remind folks that that they're listening to the Bo's Nose Show, and I've got my guest Merlin Huff here from. Executive Director of the Lane Regional Air Protection Agency. And if you want to ask Merlin a question, you can give us a call here at 646-721-9887. Just press one and that, that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. You can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net or you can also uh, message me on Facebook um, and, and also the uh, show on Facebook. Uh, just look for either the uh, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio Facebook page, or you can get me on my Jay Bozovich Westlane Commissioner page. Uh, several ways to get to us. We are also now broadcasting live on Facebook. But uh, as we move on uh, a little bit here, Merlin, I, I want to get into kind of a, a little bit of um, you know, the, the question 
comes up sometimes about um, can't you know a, as we're in this event and things were so bad, why wasn't Lane County or El Rapa telling industry to shut down and people to stop driving cars and and all sorts of uh, restrictions to try and keep the air from getting any dirtier? Um, and, and you know, can you talk a little bit about um, the percent, you know, of contribution maybe the industry and vehicles do to the PM25 um, pollution uh, uh, versus uh, what this wildfire um, smoke does? And then, then kind of you know, the converse in that is why do people have to stop using their fireplaces sometimes in the wintertime? Um, and, and yet we're not shutting industry down here during this, this major event. Sure. Let me talk about summer first, the episode we're in right now. Uh, if you uh, look at this past uh, a week or two weeks, uh, the, uh, the the big episode we had uh, be before this last weekend was on August uh, 27, 28, 29. And August 28th, uh, that was uh, the highest level we had had um, since we've been measuring uh, PM uh, 2.5, so back to 1999 forward, that was the biggest day, uh, summer or winter, that we had. And, and like I mentioned, we had to go all the way back to the 1980s to find something, uh, uh, a smoke level that, that was greater than that. But on August 30th, we got in between episodes, we got down to more normal uh, summertime levels. Normally, August is... Uh, uh, delightful. Uh, it's one of the prime times for vacations in Oregon uh, if there aren't things like uh, the wildfire events going on. And we had an air quality index of 22 on that day. So um, let me, I'll, I'll, I'd probably be good to just talk about real numbers. 174 air quality index is what we were on the 28th of uh, August. That dropped to 115 the next day and then dropped down to 22 on August 30th. Now that's probably not down to, to normal, typical. Uh, it probably had a little bit of residual smoke in it, but, but even say 22, that increased um, then this past weekend up to, uh, well, we had a 250 for North Quality Index, 24 hour average on uh, September 3rd, 239 on the 4th, and 240 on the 5th. So three extremely high record-setting days that we had. That difference between the 22 and the 250, that is due to the wildfire smoke intrusion. The 22 represents the normal emissions from living and working and playing here in the uh, um, Eugene Springfield area. So industry is a part of that. Motor vehicles uh, are a part of that. Everything we do, there's a certain amount of that that's just background. That's just, uh, you, you, you never start out with uh, uh, pristine air before you start adding local emissions. There's a certain amount of uh, background emissions that uh, uh, is there. So then you, you look at, well, if we can reduce that 22 by, by a couple, by, uh, uh, shutting down traffic, shutting down airports, shutting down industry and other businesses, that would be um, a relatively small improvement for uh, major disruption. Um, you know, putting people out of work for that period of time, uh, that's a major disruption. That's uh, a part of the overall uh, livability of the area. So that, that's, that's probably fundamentally where I would start. But uh, Second, as far as industry in particular, uh, it, uh, if, if you shut down different industrial processes and then start those up again after the episode, um, that, that can exacerbate the amount of emissions uh, from that. They, the industries are required to have effective controls in place all the time, but that's extremely too difficult to do during a shutdown and startup uh, cycle. They, they operate best, uh, most efficiently, with lowest emissions during steady-state conditions. So um, that's another, another, uh, another factor. Uh, the other thing is that the air pollution emergency rules, we do have rules that uh, 
you know, are designed to, to protect against getting to that significant harm level. And there are uh, requirements in there that uh, affect industry, uh, they affect uh, motor vehicles, they affect um, airports even in the, uh, as, as you get higher levels. Those are major disruptions and uh, are considered in that emergency category. And we were, even with these high levels, we were below the triggers for those parts of the uh, air pollution emergency plan. Now that's the summer situation. I don't know if, if uh, Jay, you wanted me to elaborate any more on any part of that, but I can talk about the winter situation next if uh, if you'd like. Well, it, in general, just um, when, just to kind of put a few things in in the kind of perspective, the industrial emitters. Um, when you talk about overall PM two five. Uh, pollution year-round contributed to our airshed. Are they um, a major contributor or are they a minor contributor? Uh, you know, what, what's what's the biggest drivers of, of PM25 pollution in in uh, Lane County's airshed? Well, it'll it'll vary by uh, pollutant. Um, the but particularly uh, PM2. Yeah, for 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 PM. Uh, well, for, for any of these these categories, the industry part is going to be uh, pretty consistently um, a, a minor part. Uh, air toxics uh, modeling that the EPA does nationally uh, that you can break down to the county level and break it down even down to the census tract. We've we've uh, done that analysis using their model results around our our two uh, air toxics monitoring sites. And the industry is typically uh, single digit when you look at a single digit uh, co percent contribution to the overall air toxics risk at those two sites. If you look at motor vehicles, uh, it'll depend on the particular air toxic, but like benzene is uh, is primarily a, uh, a motor vehicle related pollutant. If you um, look at some of the other air toxics, uh, uh, diesel emissions uh, from um, Diesel cars, diesel trucks, uh, also railroads to a certain extent, but primarily the, the, the heavy duty or light duty trucks for some of the other air toxics. Um, so it, it depends on uh, pollutant, uh, probably more detail than I can try to do verbally here on the call, but uh, uh, generally industry is a, a relatively minor contributor today in contrast to what it was back in the 70s. Um, motor vehicles are a pretty consistent, um, uh, larger fraction. They can be a third to half, depending on the pollutant. Uh, particulate emissions, not so much, except for the diesel vehicles. Um, but yeah, it does it does vary. Uh, things like carbon monoxide, that's no longer a problem. That used to be a problem back in the 70s. That was dominated by motor vehicles, and that was um, the, the concentrations of that pollutant were uh, of greatest concern in heavy stop and go traffic parts of um, uh, central Lane County or uh, basically downtown Eugene type areas. But uh, the pollution controls on new cars and cleaner fuels progressively over time, uh, that's uh, carbon monoxide is now a not basically a non issue for, for this area. Yeah, so particularly with. Um the, the smoke, the PM, the particulate matter, two and a half microns or smaller. Um, does, is industry, um, there's there's single digit with that also? Yes. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the thing that the modeling does, that e the national modeling that EPA does, it shows also there's a certain amount of um, uh, background uh, pollution and there's a certain amount of um, secondary pollution formed. Uh, this is where something might be uh, emitted in one form, but in the atmosphere, it uh, their chemical reactions change it into other compounds, some of which might be more more toxic concern as they uh, as they change. Um, but the uh, 
the, the single biggest category consistently is the, the motor vehicle category all, across all the, uh, the different air pollutants. Um, particulate matter, the dominant source, is uh, the, the, the problem really we have in Lane County with particulate matter is on those worst winter days when um, wood stoves um, emissions dominate. And that's most clear up in Oak Ridge because essentially you don't have other other sources to confuse things. It's almost like a, a laboratory situation in that small valley on the, the middle fork of the Willamette River where um, wood stove emissions um, during the baseline back in 2008, the most recent baseline, um, the uh, wood stove emissions, according to the emission inventory, were about 80, 88% or so uh, of the emissions. When we did chemical analysis of our filters, um, that confirmed also that uh, wood stove and fireplace emissions were 80-some percent of uh, the problem on those worst winter days um, when wood stove use is, is highest and air stagnation is at its uh, worst with temperature inversions essentially putting a cap on the valley up there. Yeah, um, and, and really at least some of the data I've seen definitely that that when you look at the overall annual contribution to the air sheds in Oregon, um, when it comes to that particulate matter, the, the, the two largest contributors in Oregon are homewood heating and wildfires. And we're seeing the wildfire contribution this summer, but the homewood heating is definitely the issue in, in the wintertime. And that's where we have to worry about um, that particular pollutant constituent um, getting above uh, uh, levels that EPA uh, wants us to keep them at uh, and causing us to, to potentially have to uh, take actions that would, would have economic impact. Can you talk a little bit about why um, we ask people not to burn their stoves um, in the wintertime, uh, you know, even though we're not asking industry to shut down during these, these events, uh, and, you know, because obviously shutting down industry really wouldn't have a big Im impact on PM25 because there's such a small um, portion of that kind of pollution. Um, you know, that why why about, you know, talk a little bit about why we ask people to uh, stop burning wood stoves. Okay, well, uh, Oak Ridge, like I say, is a nice laboratory situation because there's um, there, there isn't any confusion uh, as far as the, the sources, no matter which way you look at it, uh, wood stoves are the dominant source. In uh, Eugene Springfield, where you got a more of a mix of sources, uh, we've done um, different airshed studies here, where the highest levels are are in the neighborhoods, and uh, closely related to the the wood stove emissions. We've also done chemical analysis of uh, filters and uh, that organic carbon, because of the lower combustion temperature of wood stoves, the uh, organic Carbon is a, a good indicator of uh, the relative amount of wood stove uh, impact. And so the strategies have relied on um, reducing wood stove emissions. Now, the, the, the best way is through a permanent reduction. Back in uh, 1983, the uh, uh, Oregon legislature recognized the need for a wood stove certification program for the long term to have cleaner burning units out there. And uh, that was the first program of its kind in the country. Uh, DEQ and Environmental Quality Commission adopted the rules to implement that by about 1985. And that's affected stoves sold in Oregon since 1986 and, um, and then tighter standards in uh, 1988. Uh, along the way, EP, uh, US EPA re uh, recognized that a, a national program was needed and so they adopted uh, a national program uh, closely modeled after Oregon's that affects uh, stoves sold nationally since 1988. And um, that program was just uh, tightened up, uh, I think 25th, early 2015, um, a, 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 an additional tightening of the standards for new stoves based, based on um, you know, technology improvements that uh, that uh, EPA had uh, 
recognized over the years. So that's the the long term. Uh, uh, the other, um, the short term, the the most cost effective way to make a significant air quality gain is to just eliminate use on the red days, which are you know now down to just a handful of days per year in the Eugene Springfield area. So that is uh, the most cost effective way to reduce emissions rather than um, you know telling people they have to take out their old stoves and put in a new one by some date certain. It's more cost effective to just let that normal replacement cycle take place when it does, when people are um, ready to replace their wood stove um, and, um, and do so. Uh, there were some uh, changes in the Oregon legislature that uh, probably, I'm not, the date uh, eludes me right now, but uh, not too many years ago, the legislature, uh, the HeatSmart program was adopted, and that requires at the time of home sale that uh, non-certified stoves be removed. Uh, they could be replaced with a with a new new certified stove, meeting the the, the newest standards, uh, or they could uh, uh, not replace it, just use the uh, the other heat source in the home. Uh, but that it was a, an attempt to make sure that eventually all um, wood heated homes uh, have uh, the better technology installed. The other programs are just. Uh, um, better education, and really there's been, I think, a, a significant culture change. Back in the 1980s with these large, big box, uh, airtight stoves, uh, there was, uh, it was uh, kind of the ultimate goal was to see how long uh, you could get a full box of, uh, full uh, wood stove box uh, to burn and damper it down. Uh, you know, our climate here is fairly uh, moderate because of the, the, the closeness of the, the Pacific influence, not like some of the colder parts of the country. So uh, a lot of times stoves were operated in a, just a damp, fully dampered down condition. And so a lot of the, the culture change has been uh, folks recognizing that small, uh, smaller but hotter fires um, are uh, the better way, um, less creosote buildup in the chimney, less emissions out the, uh, out the stovepipe, and uh, so less air pollution for people to uh, to breathe. Uh, also, the importance of um, proper seasoning of firewood. Uh, you get more energy out of the firewood by doing so. Um, also, weatherizing your home so that you don't have to burn as much wood. Uh, that's another energy saver as well as um, a pollution reducer. And finally, here in recent years, uh, uh, a very, uh, very helpful technology are the ductless heat pumps. They can be used without, uh, you know, having a housewide uh, HVAC system installed. You can use them uh, for heating uh, a certain space, and um, they're very, uh, very cost-effective. Uh, energy uh, uh, programs are available to help with uh, the cost frequently on those. So the utilities have uh, promoted those, and those have helped also reduce the reliance on wood for uh, home heating. And, and I now you asked I, about. I didn't get to your your question about why wood stove curtailment and not industry curtailment, but that gets back to the issue of um, relatively few days a year that we're talking about red days. And then to uh, require a uh, shutdown and then have the subsequent startup of industry operations, that can uh, cause an overall increase in the industry emissions. Rather, they're required to meet very uh, tight standards all the time. Some of the best uh, pollution controls out there are uh, you know, 90 some percent effective in reducing emissions compared to back in the 1970s or 1980s. So those controls are required to be used uh, all the time, and um, the um, you know shutting down uh, an industry operation, uh, the emission increase associated with the start down uh, sh uh, shutdown and startup, uh, putting people out of employment for that period of time, 
that uh, just is uh, less cost effective than focusing on uh, uh, um, uh, curtailment on those uh, wood stoves on those critical uh, handful of days each year. Yeah, and, and it, you would, the impact of not running industry during those times compared to not doing wood stoves is is nowhere near as significant because um, the industry really doesn't have as much PM25 output as as the combined output of all the wood stoves in in Eugene Springfield or Oak Ridge or Cottage Grove, wherever the air quality issue might be happening. Uh, that's the real you know driver behind that is the, the the major contributor during those events really is the wood stoves, not industry. Um, so that the, besides the, the impact that you actually may create more pollution by shutting them down and the economic um, dislocation of the workers, uh, it's also just about what, how much good will it do, you know, relative to the right. air quality. And it's not. Yeah. So another 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 reason that's uh, um, it's it's there, and so I'll mention it. And it's the the regulatory. Uh, issue uh, under the the federal clean air act uh, intermittent controls are are not allowed uh, as uh, approvable strategies for meeting national health standards so if we had uh, depended on um, curtailment of industries on an intermittent basis as part of the strategies adopted back in the 1980s though those would not be uh, uh, approvable by epa in fact, the uh, approach of curtailment of wood stoves was a, a major change in uh, EPA's um, action on that. They um, accepted that, uh, they, they took that true rulemaking as an exception to that, the, that, that ban on intermittent control strategies because it was clear that that was the only way that areas like the problem areas in Oregon and other parts of the Pacific Northwest could meet standards on on schedule. The uh, the, the curtailment of uh, wood stoves was that uh, dramatic for those worst worst winter days. So intermittent controls are not allowed on industry, and so all of the industrial controls have been uh, more permanent requirements or continuous requirements. Uh, uh, Wood-fired boilers are much better controlled today than they were um, back in the 70s. Uh, wigwam burners, those weren't uh, just uh, shut down on uh, bad air days, those were eliminated uh, as uh, unnecessary. And so uh, waste wood material, waste bark material that was formerly just uh, disposed of in those wigwam burners, that's now used for uh, more useful purposes, either in particle board or as boiler fuel in a, in a more well-controlled um, combustion environment. Yeah, and that that's uh, been a major change, you know. And I, you know, I hear people, you know, wax poetic about the nostalgia of wigwam burners, et cetera, but they don't they don't uh, wax too poetic about the air quality at that time, because <laughs> right. we got a dose of it this last week, and it and, and it was pretty pretty heavy. In fact, uh, you know, um, I know a few people that that have uh, a, you know asthma in their their medical history, and they've been gone through more asthma medicine in the last week or two than, than uh, they've gone through in, in the last several years uh, you know, with all these, these uh, high levels of PM25 that the wildfire smoke has brought into our area. Um, so we, we've got about um, seven or eight minutes left of the program here. So if you have a question for Merlin about all these topics we've discussed today, we, we've kind of gone through the gamut. We went through the, uh, the current uh, wildfire smoke got into a little bit into wintertime smoke and, and industry's contribution to our airshed, and et cetera. The number is 646-721-9887. And just press one if you want to get in on the conversation on the Bose Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press one. So I want to talk a little bit about PM25 for a minute. And I know that you're not a health expert, uh, Merlin, but I, I do have some information from our public health department because I saw going around town the last several days, 
everything from people wearing bandanas across their face to uh, I saw a couple older elder couple going into Costco today with surgical masks on their face. And I want to relay something from uh, Dr. Patrick Lugke, who is our public health official um, or official uh, here in Lane County. Um, that, you know, masks like that may provide a sense of security, but they don't actually provide actual protection for wood smoke. And because, you know, we talked about how this part particles are so small, they can actually get very deep into your lungs. And that's because they can get past all the fine cilia, which are little tiny hairs that at the cellular level um, that protect your lungs and 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 also in your in your nasal passages. Um, those masks are too coarse um, to um, to uh, stop those very fine particles, uh, and their pores are too large. So wearing those may make you feel better and all that, um, but they really don't stop what causes the health problems in this high wood smoke. What you want to do is find masks that have um, an N95 or an N100 uh, certified on it. Uh, they're a little bit specialized masks. You'll see them for uh, painters and, and carpenters and stuff like that where they're dealing with a lot more dust exposure. Uh, go on Amazon. Uh, you can probably order them and rush delivery and have, it, have them back uh, for you before this weekend when it gets bad again. And it, it's, it's um, the actual long labeling of it is N-I-O-S-H-95 or N-I-O-S-H-100. If you see that on the, the labeling of the mask, that will actually um, stop PM25 uh, from getting into your lungs. And, and for those that are highly sensitive or elderly or the young, uh, I, I would recommend trying to find some of these N95 uh, certified masks. Uh, pretty easy to pick them up on Amazon and, and get a rush delivery. Um, so if you just do N95 mask on, on your Amazon search, I'm sure you'll find them. I uh, just want to try and get that information out there from our public health department. Uh, one of the, th the best things you can do, though, is to stay inside. Generally, the PM25 inside versus outside on a day like this naturally drops to almost half of whatever the reading is outside. Uh, just the, the various uh, filters and the fact that you have uh, closed windows and doors um, so you, if you can get inside and do an air-conditioned uh, home, you'll get some benefit there. And then if you can get um, uh, high quality, the, the, the big four-inch thick air filters for your, for your uh, furnace and just run the blower uh, alone without the uh, heat turned on if you don't have air conditioning, that'll take some of the PM25 out of there or look for... Um, with the, the HEPA filters and all that, and you can actually uh, look for the higher higher quality ones that, that take those finer particles. You'll, most of them will talk about allergen particles. Uh, smoke particles are in that same size range. So you you know the typical filters, uh, those little one inch cheap four four dollar ninety nine cent filters won't quite do it. So, Merlin, I want to thank you for coming on Bo's Note Show today and be my guest. And uh, any last things you want to add in the last couple seconds here? Uh, just to uh, uh, reinforce what you just said, we rely on Lane County Public Health for advice like you just described, or, or Oregon Health Authority. Um, getting those filters, uh, like, like uh, the N95, like you mentioned, properly fitted, that's a key thing. And if you have facial hair like I do, it's not going to fit. So. Uh, uh, follow the other advice. Stay inside and uh, avoid strenuous exercise outside. Uh, that's, that's really great recommendations, Merlin. And if folks want to see the El Rapa um, uh, conditions, current air quality index, they can go to www.lrapa.org and just uh, click on the air quality uh, thing there and you get eventually down the menu to the uh, current air quality uh, scroll down below the map and their gauges are there so
Thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. Thank you, Merlin, for being my guest. We'll talk to you next week here from beautiful downtown Elmira. This has been the Bo's Nose Show. Good evening and talk to you next week.